Hey, everybody. Good to see you. Happy Saturday night. I'm glad you're all here. Um, so I've been inspired by this, this guy that I hear about quite a lot and um, have, have done quite a lot of biographies about him. And um, he's someone who could encapsulate like the dream of God and, and he could speak it and he would travel all over everywhere presenting the thing I'm going to call the dream of God. Um, it, 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 he, he would talk about things that aren't practical. He would talk about the things that are probable, the things that could happen. Not the things that should happen, but, but the things that, that if God happened, here's the thing that could be. And I get really excited about that. And he would go town to town as if he were on tour. And, um, and the places he would go would give him platforms, and he would speak, and he would inspire. And I'm, I'm all about, like, the idea of inspiration and hope. And, and, and he had this, like, this idea that the kingdom of God is not something that's being attacked by the darkness, but it's the other direction. It's the kingdom of God is the attacking force going into the darkness. It's this idea of like Jesus is not a victim and God's not a victim and, and the church is not a victim. Like the church is going places and we're bringing light and hope and dreams and, and the things that people are hungry for. God has that food. And, and so um, this this. Guy who is the Apostle Paul, who I believe is one of the most inspirational people ever. And how he would paint pictures and talk about how things could be, it's not the Christian standard. It was like the Christian dream. There's this idea that I think that the church has is that, that Christianity should almost be the societal standard of things. Christianity is never supposed to be the societal standard of things. Christianity is supposed to be this epic dream of what society possibly someday when heaven crashes into earth could be. And Paul paints these pictures beautifully. This isn't the, the brass tacks of what it is to be human. This is what it is to be a son and daughter of God. This is what Paul does. But Paul hadn't always been Paul. Paul actually had been Saul. He was a whole different person. And in between the, the, the transformation of Saul to Paul, there was this time of temporary blindness. You see, Paul was the opposite of who Saul was. Saul was a Bible basher. Paul had, or Saul had been someone who thought he saw clearly, had all the answers, had it down, and he was someone who was all after control and power and thought he was doing the correct thing. Saul thought he could see all things and almost control all things because he had this fear of the kingdom of God being corrupted. And so Saul actually encountered Jesus, like the person of Jesus. And when he encountered Jesus, he went blind. He went blind. So this, this guy who was a Pharisee, had all the answers, was brilliant, had authority and power, and he would go on crusades to kill 
Christians, he encounters Jesus and he goes blind. And in this time of temporary blindness, he begins to see all the things he has never seen before. You see, he thought he had seen things clearly, but then he encountered Jesus, goes blind, and actually finds out he had always been blind, but now he sees clearly. I'm in this place as a Christian that the desire that I have is to pray for that spot of temporary blindness as often as possible. Um, so if I can encounter the Bible or encounter the Holy Spirit and encounter Jesus and encounter the Father, and there is like this baseball bat across the face that causes temporary blindness, and I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. I'm probably on the correct path because I want to see clearly, and I want to be able to dream the dreams of God, and I want to speak the dreams of God, and I want to participate in what God is doing. It's all about transforming. It's about transforming our hearts. Like Paul, his heart was transformed. It's about transforming our minds and our brains. Like Paul, it's this transformation process. And so if I'm out pursuing things just simply to hear the things I already think I see clearly, that's pointless. I'm out to cause temporary blindness for my brothers and sisters in Christ so that we all together can begin to participate in the dreams of God. It's all about transformation and transforming. So this morning for breakfast, I had a hot dog. <laughs> and, and the hot dog, so, so I heat the hot dog in the microwave. And it always like splits down the center. It's this thing. And I'm a very curious person. It's just what I do. I'm curious. And I was like, man, I hate when my hot dog splits down the center because it's important that your food has the image of like it's attractive. And when you have your hot dog split down the center like this, it's not attractive. And so I, I, I got on the Google thing, and I was like, how come my hot dog splits in the center if I put it in the microwave? And I had no idea how a microwave does its thing, but there's a bunch of you who probably do to just humor me. So the, the microwave doesn't heat the item you put inside of it. It heats the moisture inside the item. Like, so the hot dog is not actually cooking the and heat in the hot dog is cooking the moisture inside the hot dog, not the actual hot dog itself. And I was like, that's really brilliant because that, that moisture in there gets going and blah. And the hot dog's like, no, not yet, not yet. And, not, and it splits. And so then I started to think like, okay, so something has to have moisture in it to heat up. Can I just throw a packet of, of like the oatmeal, like dried oatmeal in the microwave. And I, I started doing this experiment in my house. It's seven o'clock in the morning. I'm like, I'm so excited. And I throw this packet of, of the instant, the oatmeal in there and it doesn't heat up. There's no moisture in it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have just found something really special. But of course, all of you already know this. 
But then I was like, wait a second, popcorn. Popcorn's like dry, right? You put it in a microwave and it like explodes, it pops. And so then I'm like, that, that goes against my hypothesis, right? And so, so I'm like, how does popcorn pop if there's no more? Anyway, there is. So inside a kernel of popcorn, there is this tiny amount of moisture inside of it. That whenever you put it in a microwave or a, a pot and you begin to heat up the kernels of popcorn, the tiny amount of moisture in it activates the corn. And the corn gets all, and it presses up against the shell, right? And the moisture gets so hot that it causes the corn just to explode and take on its true form. Now, I'm totally not saying that the Holy Spirit is similar to that, but I am. Because the transformation process, we want to put ourselves in places and expose ourselves to places and things that cause the Holy Spirit in us to do what that moisture in that kernel of popcorn does. Because we have this desire to be what we were made to be. And popcorn is not supposed to be a hard shell. It's supposed to be passed out at movies and butter. And I am meant to dream the dreams of God and to be poetic and say the things of God. And so are you. And so transformation is similar to popcorn, the moisture and the kernel, the pressing out and the being. The Ephesians passages that are being talked about here at our church, I'm going to call the popcorn passages. So from here on out, every time that you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, you'll be like, popcorn passages. Because it's not just heady. It's not just like, oh, this is some good content. Who cares? These are transformational passages. This is putting the kernels of popcorn in the microwave and saying, it's time to pop. The goal is to create moments of temporary blindness. The, the goal isn't to, to go in here and say, I already knew this. In fact, today's passage, um, so I was talking to someone before the service and they said, I saw your passage and it seems that someone drew the short end of the stick as far as the sermons you have to preach this summer. It is. It's this really tiny, boring passage, but it's a popcorn passage. If this passage is a stick in the short, and it's short, it's like a baseball bat with barbed wire around it. Okay, this is all about transformation, it's power, and you need to check it out. But at first you'll be like, Saul, I already know this. This is not a big deal at all. Here it is. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to to share with those in need. 
That's it. That's the only passage. Passion, I was like, here, have this passage. And it's like, it's a passage on stealing. So I was about to say, I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is you don't have to talk about porn tonight. Bad news is we got to talk about stealing. So, so anytime I come to this place, I'm like, man, I, I just don't know. There's a passage. I'm, I get inspired easily about things. And I'm just like holding this thing like, eh. And then I have this habit. I have this habit that if I get bored, I go to f- Facebook. And, it's, and it's, it's beyond just going to Facebook. What I do is I go to the part of Facebook that people sell things. I'm starting to get excited just talking about it. I probably go on there 15 to 20 times a day because I am trying to find things, anything that is valuable, that I see the value in, that the person selling it does not see the value in or understand the value. So then I can swoop in and, and take the best deal and celebrate it. Half of our house I bought on Facebook. I have the best deals Ever. And, and so, so upon finding this passage and thinking about Ephesians 4.8, I was really bored and I put it aside and I was opening up Facebook and my heart started pounding because the, the day before I found this coffee table, this hand-carved coffee table that was probably valued at 500 bucks. The person was selling it for 70. And so I clicked the button and I said, is this still available? And she said, it is. And I said, I'm going to offer you uh, $40. And she had it up there for $70. It's a $500 coffee table. And I was like, I'll pay you $40. Bucks. And I hadn't heard back from her. And so, so on this particular morning, I opened it up. There's her little thing. And she says, I can't do 40 How about 50 And I said, I'll do 40 40. I was tempted to say I'll go down to 35 because that's how I roll. Like, I know, it's embarrassing. It's like, no, I offered you 40. You don't want to do that? I'll go down to 35. And if you do it again, I'll go down to 30. It's nasty. And so, so then, I, then she said, okay, I'll do 40. And I said, awesome. And then I texted my friend and said, I got this coffee table out of steel. And then I was like, oh, yes, I got my sermon and I'm the center of it. (laughs) Oh, then all of a sudden, this passage that seemed insignificant, unimportant, invaluable, all of a sudden was like, I would happily teach a passage on porn. (laughs) Because taking this concept and I thought, What if I have no idea what it is to actually steal? And so, you know, I just Google the definition of stealing. And the definition of stealing is to take or acquire something at the expense or the unfair expense of somebody else. And I was like, okay, that's cool. You know, I get that, you know. And, and then I began to go back to the early church and, and, and tell me what's stealing. What is stealing? What is stealing? And I started to dig and ask questions and talking to my professors about stealing, what stealing is and what pro- property is, who owns what, especially in the church, right? Because in the church, this idea of everything that is given to us is by God's grace. So, you know, like what is stealing. 
and it's to gain anything at the expense of somebody else. Pause button. I texted Alan and I said, this is everything I am, right? And it was like, this is everything I do and I celebrate and I get excited about. Like, like our, and then I started going on, like our whole economy is based on how do I go forward? How do I achieve? How do I acquire? How do I grow? And it's always at the expense of somebody else. So if the economy is doing great over here, it's because the economy is doing terrible over here. If, I mean, like, think about it. Think about the homes you're able to get at a great deal. How does that happen? Because somebody else had something horrible happen to them. On Facebook, my hunting gear, my fishing gear, <laughs> the, the best stuff that I've gotten has happened whenever couples get a divorce. This has happened four times. This is like what I hone in on. Couples get a divorce. He gets angry and he's out of there. She gets angry and says, I'm selling all of his things. There I am on Facebook saying, I'll take that, 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 and that. He comes home to pick up his backpacking stuff, his hunting gear. It's not there because I bought it at the expense of that dude. If you begin to think about simply our desires to achieve, our desires to grow, our desires, and our idea of stewardship often is stealing because it's at the expense of somebody else. St. John had this quote, and he's defining what it is to steal. Here, check this out. Okay, everybody help me out here. Not to enable the poor to share in our goods is to steal from them and to deprive them of life. The goods we possess are not ours, but theirs. So throughout the teachings of the Apostle Paul, there are these popcorn passages, and all the popcorn passages have something in common. He'll begin by saying, you're too focused on you. And then he will say, focus on others. You're too focused on you. It's your heart. Focus on the heart of others. You, it's all about you. No, it's all about others. And so he's constantly, during these popcorn passages, the hot space is this trans, transforming posture of the, the, the selfish to then generous, right? From being self-centered to being generous. And Paul goes back and forth and saying, it is human to fight for survival. It is human to be afraid. It's human to be greedy. But to be a child of God, there is no fear. To be a child of God, there's no need. To be a child of God, there is generosity. And that's how these popcorn passages go, including Ephesians 4, 28. He says, so for those of you who Steal, don't steal anymore. And he's talking to people in the church. Then he says, but it is good to toil until you are tired with the things that you already have so that everyone has what they need. You see what he's doing? It's like the same as all the passages before. Don't think about yourselves anymore. Don't steal. Don't try to achieve at the expense of the others. In fact, it's them. You bust your butt. You, you get your hands dirty for them. This is what it is to begin to dream the dreams of God. 
as far as going forward. So I began to ask um, people I know who are brilliant. I said, you know, like who are people in the Bible who stole things? Like biblical examples of like the thieves of the Bible. Because I think that's important. And, and kind of off the top of my head, it's kind of hard like to think of like, like thieves in the Bible. And so the first thing, like a whole bunch of people on Facebook said, well, how, about, how about Jacob and Esau? Jacob and Esau, there was something that was stolen here with Jacob and Esau, right? And it was this idea of a blessing. So Jacob and then Esau, they are twins. And furthermore, Esau is the oldest brother by like a half a second, right? He comes out, and so he is a firstborn son, and Jacob is the secondborn son. And Jacob, though, as they grow up, he is jealous, and he is dying for the inheritance that Esau has as the firstborn son. And so his father, their father is blind. He cannot see. And so, so as the story goes, the only thing that Jacob has to have to get this blessing as a firstborn son and the inheritance as a firstborn son is his father just simply needs to pray over him. Throughout the story of Jacob, though, he has this identity crisis. Like, he has no idea who he is. Like, he's constantly saying to everybody, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Tell me who I am. Tell me who I am. Tell me my name. Tell me my name. Right? Um, say my name. Say my name. Anyway, um, so, so this is the first time that he asks that. Like, he steals the posture of his older brother Esau as if he's kind of asking his father, tell me my name. Tell me I have value. Give me your blessing. So, so Esau is a hunter. And then J Jacob, he's a part of the agricultural helm. And so, so Jacob, he tricks his, the older brother into saying, hey, you can have my inheritance. You have my blessing. I'm hungry. Can I have that soup? And he said, yeah, sure, absolutely. And so so. Jacob, though, he totally knows that his father is not going to agree to the terms. And so he tricks his father who has gone blind and he kills something that has fur and he puts it on him to pretend to be his brother. Can you even imagine how hairy his brother is if he put the animal fur on his arms? And so his father, he's going to give his son the blessing and then he touches him and feels the animal fur on him. And then he gives Jacob the blessing of the firstborn son. And the Hebrew people celebrate it. They celebrate this idea of thievery, of a blessing. It's really interesting that this idea, and it happens over and over and over again in the Old Testament, how people will trick and steal things that aren't theirs. And when they come on top, society cheers and says, you are brilliant. And so the beginning of the Jewish people comes upon thievery. Is this good? Is this bad? Is it to be celebrated? I don't know. I'm not the author of the Bible. But there is something that was stolen. And here's a thief. And he, what he stole was a blessing. 
This goes beyond just like food. He didn't steal food. He didn't steal, steal money. He didn't steal clothes. He stole a blessing. If the definition of stealing is defined by if someone has a need for it and I have it but do not give it to them, as far as Christianity goes and St. John's definition, if that is thievery, is it possible that if I have a blessing or if I have hope and someone has a desire for it and I don't give it to them, can I steal that from them? I don't know, but that's where my head goes. The second story in the Bible of thievery that came up, and it perplexed me quite a lot, was the story of Judas. Judas, who took the, the 30 pieces of silver and the exchange of pointing out who Jesus is. That whole scene to me is perplexing. Um, because it's like, how did this betrayal happen? I don't understand it. How could Judas ever do it? There are so many theories about the heart of Judas that he didn't understand the things that were happening. He was trying to expedite the process. He was trying to cause the Messiah to come. The people I was talking to of like, how is this thievery? Is he was trying to sell God. <laughs> he was selling God for 30 pieces of silver. 30, furthermore, he sold, he bought power. He, he thought he could buy control. And so in this process, in this exchange, there was confusion. And furthermore, it was this idea of he was trying to prosper himself at the unfair expense of somebody else. And beyond that, it wasn't just somebody else. This was his friends, the people closest to him. Um, this was a really big deal. Beyond the idea that Jesus had been God and Judas betrayed God and sold God, how many of, of us use God unfairly to further our own causes? How many of us take the name of God to validate the things that you are saying that could be true or untrue? Is that stealing? How many of us invoke and sell grace to further our own standing? How many of us hold grace back from people who desperately want it? Is it possible to steal grace? If someone desires and desperately needs something that you have and you hold it back from them, can you steal grace? I do it quite a lot. The third example that was brought up that was 
challenging, had been in uh, the book of Acts chapter 5. Um, there's a story of Barnabas, and Barnabas is someone else who's just so incredibly inspiring. And Barnabas, he's a part of the early church, and he sells everything and gives it, gives it all to the church and to the poor. And it inspired the other people in the early church to do the same thing. And so as a story goes, there was this couple, Sapphira and Ananias, um, who were inspired by Barnabas. Like, I believe they were like good people, inspired at the core of who they are. And they said, yeah, I want to be like Barnabas. And they had property that they sold, but they couldn't sell it all. You know, because that's, that's, that's a lot, you know? And, but they wanted the, the image, they wanted the prestige, they wanted the community and the family, they wanted to be like Barnabas. And so they sold their things, a lot of their things, like almost all of them, and they gave it to the church. They held a tiny little portion back. And then they come in, and then Ananias, I even practiced saying that earlier, just like it practice didn't pay off. He d- d- died on the spot. Like he's like, here we are, we're part of this. And it's like, God just slayed him down, he's dead. And then the church brought him out. He didn't tell the truth. In the eyes of the church, he somehow stool. How did he steal from God? How did he steal from the church? Either I don't understand the definition of stealing or God was wrong. Like, it's just like, whoa, what does this teach me about stealing? Furthermore, what was behind it? Like, what did they want and what was to gain? They were trying to gain family, community, that they wanted to be proud. They wanted to have this stand. Like, I get that. I want people to, to see me and say, man, he is all in for Jesus. He's all in for the church. He gave everything. I don't get yeah. Anyway, um, man, I get it. What were they trying to gain? What did they have to sell and sacrifice? And how did they sell their soul for that? I get challenged by all of these things because it's like, this is me. And I thought, man, I am like the biggest thief in the world. And then I thought, so is Paul. (laughs) So is Paul. So is Saul. And this was who Saul was. He had the understanding of the Torah He knew things. He knew God. He was brought up in it. He was like the shining example of Jerusalem. And he held it back from people. And he knew it. And then he met Jesus. And he met Jesus and there was this time of temporary blindness. Where all of a sudden, he then opened up his hands and said, this isn't just for me, this is for everybody. And he became generous. He became 
generous with God's grace. He became generous with the idea of hope. He came, became generous with God as his father. If he's my father, he's everyone's father. He became generous with the things that God told him. He became generous because there are a lot of people out there who are dying for popcorn. And Paul became generous. The thing that is cool and where it all shifts on its head is the fact when Jesus came, he took back all the things that were his. It's just, it's just what happened. He took back what was his, like this hope, this is mine, this salvation is mine, this grace is mine, this kingdom is mine, the earth is mine, this is all mine. It's mine. And then he says, where are my children at? Right? And, and so for all of God's children, it's like, this is ours. This is ours. But as this is ours, we are people of generosity. We are people who give things. We are people that, that we show up and we ask, who's hungry? We have food. We are people who ask, who doesn't have? Because we have it. We are people who not only give generously from our pocketbooks, we give from our cupboards, we give from our hearts, we give from our heads, we give from our bodies. Who needs time? I've got it. Who needs an ear? I've got it. Who needs a friend? That's me. These are all things that I have stolen from people, and I am sorry. I have hoarded my own time. I've hoarded my own friendship. I've hoarded the things that I would give to you because I am selfish. I'm sorry. This isn't the status quo, right? It's expected you don't steal things. But the dreams of God aren't just don't steal. It's open your cupboards, open your houses, open your hearts, open the storehouses of grace and let it flow. Because the church has been in the business of keeping it in a safe for too long. Let it flow, stop stealing. This is the point that the, the, the shell of the popcorn begins to go like this. Because I haven't gotten to the point yet of how all of the places that I grow at the expense of others. Because this is who we are. This is who we're celebrated to be. Conquerors and champions and brilliance at the expense of somebody else. But the dreams of God are different. It's paying extra. It's, it's thinking outside the box, seeing the value of things. How can I support? How can I invest? How can I dream? So the person I was going to buy the coffee table from, I felt convicted. Like I was going down to $40. She wanted 70 And so I responded back and I said, can I pay you 80 You know, because I was just trying to experiment. Like what would this be like to practice? And she responded by saying, I don't feel comfortable selling it to you. That seems crazy. I don't trust you. 
And then she blocked me. And then I thought, she just called me crazy. And there's this quote that I love. This guy said, if people think that I have gone crazy, it's because I refuse to go crazy in the same platform that everyone else has gone crazy. And I think that's what, what the movement of the kingdom is. It is crazy. It is not practical. It is different. It is like, well, it doesn't really make sense. Because everything else makes sense, the kingdom should not. And that's what the Apostle Paul brought forward when he would speak the dreams of God and what could be, not what should be. It's not the things that are fair, right? Because grace is never fair. It's extravagant, beyond fairness. And you and as sons and daughters of God to not steal is to open the storehouses of grace in all things. And then you are invited to be the great dreamer. It's not Paul. It's you who have embraced the dreams of God, who understand and pursue the actions of God, the extravagance of God, and you get to go and be and participate and do because you have been transformed through your temporary blindness that you didn't have it all figured out. And there is a different practice of the Christian journey that we all get to experience and everyone benefits from it. This is a gift. A dream is not finite. It has no end. Sometimes it has no beginning and it always doesn't make sense. So as the great dreamers who are my family dream well and live them out because everyone loves popcorn. Please pray with me. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for who you are and the things you are doing. We thank you that you call us and you invite us to think bigger than society, that you invite us to think bigger than morality, that you invite us to think and that you invite us to dream, that you sweep us up in this internal current that's going somewhere. God, forgive us for growing at the expense of others. God, in this time, forgive us for taking things unfairly at the expense of somebody else. God, we thank you that you aren't just a God of forgiveness, that you are a God of hope and that you are a God who calls us out of something into something, that you call us out of the, the, the patterns of how things have been done, and you invite us to think and to have the same cadence in our heartbeat as you have. Thank you for the journey that is. God, in these times to come, just to dream as you dream and speak as you think. God, in this time of praise, in this time of offering,
offering of our hearts. I pray that our songs aren't stolen. They're offered. In this time of showing up, God, may hope abound, may dreams abound. May this place be a collision of those who have and those who have not. And there will be fullness here. God, may the conversation begin in our songs. In Christ we pray.